5: it's time for the mountaineer insider podcast get insight into your favorite west virginia university teams and hear exclusive interviews the mountaineer insider podcast have a question or comment call or text us at 304-314-4161 or email us at wvumsn at gmail.com now let's go live inside our
2: msn studios here's your host of the mountaineer insider dan zangrilli Episode 7, Week 5, Mountaineer Insider. Hello, welcome, and good to be with you. Dan Zangrily here. Um, Well, where do we begin? Um, Looking forward to Stripe the Stadium, yes. Looking forward to uh, West Virginia getting back uh, on the horse here. And looking for West Virginia to maybe exercise some Texas Tech demons. It's all going to be important. Uh, However, right, uh, we put Oklahoma to bed. But I do want to spend some time here today, uh, not necessarily rehashing Oklahoma, but I do want to discuss what I think a lot of the talking points coming out of that Oklahoma game have been and are uh, currently, I guess, permeating uh, the West Virginia uh, message boards, the Twitter sphere. Maybe it's uh, on your mind and you've been thinking about it. A lot of water cooler talk, I'm sure. ...about the quarterback position. So we'll begin there. And we're going to talk to uh, a quarterback coach. The quarterback coach for the West Virginia Mountaineers... ...Sean Reagan. He is very passionate... ...about the plan... ...and the process... ...that this quarterback room... ...is currently undergoing. And he is absolutely convicted in, um, I guess, the, the the results and the personnel that he has and the commitment to the two gentlemen that are making it work for West Virginia, Jared Dagey and Garrett Green. So, uh, hosting the post-game show on Saturday, there seems to be a call for change at the quarterback position. And I suppose that's just a, a vocal minority, um. I don't think that it's necessarily representative of the entire fan base, but it's certainly worth discussing. And anytime you don't have the result that you want, and that, of course, is a win, anytime you don't have the results that you need to win in that, you know, you need some some better offensive production in the second half, or if there's one or a few plays that you feel somebody else could make, that's just a natural inclination. All of the old cliches, most popular guy on the roster, the backup quarterback. Always quick to turn the page and and think of the alternative without really thinking about the alternative. Um, But West Virginia, their quarterback situation, as it is construed currently, I think is working. And working quite well. If you really think about it, um, you know, Jared Daigie largely as the starter, was the man who dictated the game plan and the terms and conditions in which the Oklahoma game essentially was set forth by West Virginia. So we're going to talk to Sean Regan about all of that and the quarterback process and essentially why it's set up the way that it is set up. And we're going to spend a lot of time on our Saturday pregame show, the Gomart Mountaineer Tailgate Show, talking to an offensive guru in Jed Drenning who can break it down chapter and verse. He has a ton of, of numbers and data and insight and perspective on this. And of course, is there anyone better, perhaps, in West Virginia football coaching history in the talent evaluation of quarterback play than our very own Dwight Wallace? the man essentially responsible for Major Harris. So I think Saturday is going to be must-listen radio. Until then, I think we have a pretty good podcast for you. As we're going to talk Texas Tech, and we're going to get a scouting report of the Red Raiders, that's coming up. Good buddy of the show, uh, Carlos Silva, from the Lubbock Avalanche Journal. Let's try that again. The Lubbock Avalanche Journal, Carlos Silva. He's going to stop by the podcast. The uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders... They are licking their wounds after having 70 dropped on them at D.K.R. Memorial Stadium. You would think that they're going to be coming in here limping back-to-back road games for the Red Raiders. Their quarterback gets hurt in that game, but, well, it's the guy that beat us last year, and it's a team that's beaten us twice under Neil Brown's tenure. So, looking to shed some of those ghosts, and we're going to get into some of the storylines surrounding the Texas Tech Red Raiders program coming up with Carlos. Also... On the program, a guy that knows all too well about what it takes to make a two quarterback system work, Jay Kelchner. He and Darren Studstill, for some younger listeners of the pod, I would urge you to maybe do some research on a 1993 unbeaten Mountaineer football season. The 93 campaign was one of, if not the best season in Mountaineer football history. Of course, a lot of folks are going to go to 88 initially, but the 93 team is right up there in the pantheon of great ones. This is for listeners that are perhaps 30 years or younger. But for those in my age bracket, I'm in my mid-30s, and clearly anybody older than me, Uh, You have a strong recollection, and you know who Jake the Snake is, and you know of the legend of of Jake the Snake, and you know how the quarterback situation in 1993 was constructed by Don Nealon. So Jake's going to join us as well, and he's going to lead some perspectives as to uh, how this works, and I asked him the question, hey, if you had 10 minutes with a Jarrett Daigie or a Garrett Green, what would you spend time on with them? And from a guy who's done it and done it successfully and done it successfully here in West Virginia. I think it's an important interview uh, that Wolfley and I were able to have with Jacob Snake. So he's coming by. Uh, Sean uh, Reagan is here as well, and Carlos Silva. So that's our episode seven uh, Mountaineer Insider Podcast Texas Tech Week. I hope you enjoy it. It was a fun one to dive into. Really appreciate the work of Sean Reagan. He is an incredible asset to Neil Brown's staff. He is candid. Uh, he is passionate. And he knows what he's talking about. He really does. And I think the West Virginia quarterback room is in a very, very good position with him leading it. Well, Coach, uh, we, were, uh, we were talking to, to Jake Kelchner. Um, Jake was on, on our 93 team. Uh, and he split time with Darren Studstill, and obviously 93 was a pretty special year for, for West Virginia football, right. unbeaten regular season, as you know. And he was discussing essentially how it all worked, why it worked, and the special personalities that it takes to work, not only in the locker room but in the in the coaching room as well. Uh, by all accounts, you guys have that, yes?
3: Yes, we do. No, no doubt about it. And the thing about it and- – the reason it works for us is because each and every one of those quarterbacks in that room hang out together, really close friends, and they each understand what their strength, strengths and weaknesses are. So when you, when you understand that, like, there, there's no reason to get upset over if someone's playing mm-hmm. or someone's not playing or, or whatever it may be.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, what, what do you um, – what would you want to tell the fans, I guess? Because, you know, obviously a loss like we had on Saturday um, – everybody just wants to go to the next thing or to the next person, or they just assume whatever the alternative is, that's the way to go. If you had somebody's ear that's maybe thinking that way, what would you say to them? Well,
3: we'll we'll go with just the game on Saturday. Mm -hmm. Okay, so we grade each and every play. All right, so I think Daigie had 52 snaps. He had 50 pluses, two minuses. All right, Garrett had... 15 snaps. He had 13 pluses and two minuses. So when, when you look at the grand scheme of things, okay, there's probably, there's two passes that Deggie wants back. Third and seven where we miss the out throw, and then the goal line post that was honestly six inches off target. Okay, six inches off target. Now, we, we teach him to throw the ball high above the hat. It was high above the hat. If it was six inches to the right, it's a touchdown, all right? Nobody's perfect, okay? They're not perfect. What Dagey and Garrett both did in that game mm-hmm. is for what we asked them to do, they managed that football game to an A+. Start at the beginning of the game. Fourth down conversion, almost a 10-minute drive, touchdown. Both of them were a big part of that, mm-hmm. okay? Get three possessions in the, third, in the second half, three possessions, all right? Get a field goal on one of them. Okay, you get a scoring opportunity on another one, and due to a mishap from the best, probably the best Mountaineer football player we got on the team, things happen. You know, but as far as both of them playing, like it is what it is. Like th- those guys in sixty something snaps, there were four minutes. Four minutes. <laughs> That's right. Like now. I mean, and you, I don't care what quarterback you are, and Like, if you can go through a game with four or less minuses, you've played really well.
2: And I'm curious, and I'm sure you guys are quantifying not only everything that's going on within this program, but you probably have a pretty good idea of what out – Else is uh, out there league wide. Maybe what the league averages are. Do you have any idea how we stack up our quarterback play against some of our contemporaries? I, to be honest,
3: we I, I don't really look at anything right. like that. And I'm, I'm not worried matter, about I anybody guess. else. It's about sure. us getting better each and every week. You know, and the, and the, and we've gotten better each and every week. We started out slow. Okay, probably didn't play our best game, game one. All right, <laughs> turned the ball over. We got better. We came, you know, and and this past week they played really really well. Yeah. We yeah. are. Like, there's four or five plays on offense, whether it be penalties, somebody not making a play, not making a throw uh, where you want it to be. But you go down the list, like, and to beat those, those high-ranked teams, you can't have those plays right. like, or those mistakes yeah. or those mental errors. But it happens. Like, it's the, greatest, it's the greatest game on earth. On offense, it takes all 11 yeah. doing their job every single snap and sometimes it don't work out that way you know and, and but the team is getting better and we're building this thing for the long haul and you got to be careful in certain ways how you do that but but west virginia is going to be just fine
1: what is deggie's in in I call him Gigi. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we do too. <laughs> okay. Well, what is the makeup in the, right now with them? How are they feeling about this? And how do you get the team to go in this? Because I love it. I think you're getting the best out of both. Yeah. You know, and, and using them in uh, situations where you could put them in the best advantage, whereas you're, instead of just saying, hey, you're going to go in this series right. and you run that. No, I think you really are doing a nice job of managing and putting them in in the right position at yeah. the right time.
3: Well, it's like we go into the past two game plans as we told Garrett that he was going to get his drive in the second quarter and then sparingly use. And then, you know, versus Oklahoma, he got the drive in the second quarter, and we knew we were going to use him a lot in the red zone when we got down in the red zone, just because when you get in the red zone, one thing, the passing lanes shrink, okay? Yeah. And and he's not a runner, <laughs> okay? So Garrett just opens up the run game a little bit more because it puts stress in the zone read game on the defensive end, and that helps you in the red zone, whether it be boots or whatever it may be. But those two guys get along so well, they know each of their own strengths, and they're both team guys. That's so awesome. it don't matter. Like, they're, yeah. they, those two guys, and really every quarterback in the room, including Goose, like, all of them want West Virginia to win football games. And it don't matter who and how many snaps they get. Win yeah. the game. And yeah. that's what we're trying to do. Like, that's all, as coaches, we try to come up with a plan to win the game. Period.
1: Yeah, you know, my, my point is, been too, is that, that two-quarterback system with the, the way they're a little bit different, well, maybe a lot different, I don't know, but different than what they are, their strengths are. But that also takes a defensive coordinator and makes him prepare a lot longer. It can drive him nuts that he has to go ahead and prepare for everything. Yeah, you would think so. Yeah.
3: You, know, you would think so. But, you know, on the flip side of it, when you look at from offense to defense perspective, a lot of defense coordinators are doing a whole lot of different stuff too these days. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You have True. a
2: dual-threat quarterback. Yeah. And I think – and I don't want to ever tell – Anybody, what to think, or, or fans especially, what to think, especially, you know, because they, you know, pay their hard earn money to, to see the Mountaineers and they're, they're able to voice their opinion. But it doesn't appear to me as if we have an issue here. When you look at the totality of the production and the totality of what this offense can do, its ability with two players' mm-hmm. abilities together combined, we, we may be looking for something that's simply not there.
3: Well, All I'll say is this, inside these walls, Mm. at this complex, okay, these quarterbacks are preparing to the best of their ability to win games for West Virginia football. And to the guys on this team, defense, offense, special teams, it shouldn't matter what the people outside these walls say. It's only what they believe that they can do inside these walls. And they believe they can win. And we're we're a play here, a play there, nine points, whatever you want to call it, away from being four <laughs> and Why is that? We gotta get better. We know that.
2: Yeah. All right, but and it's probably not necessarily related or entirely shouldered upon the quarterback position if you look at those reasons. They are team oriented reasons. It's yes. A, coach? It's the
3: ultimate team game. It is. It really you know, is. I, I just in this sport I don't see how you put it on one player. Yeah.
2: Yeah. That's, and that's, that's interesting and uh, illuminating and, and appreciated. Right. You're explaining that, yeah. Coach.
1: I got one last question for you. You think, and I asked this of Alonzo, and he's like, no, I was already confident, but do you think Saturday night's performance, hanging in there toe-to-toe, heavyweight fight, prime time, uh, national TV, the country watched it, do you think this does anything for their confidence going down the road and knowing that they've been in the heat, they've been in the battle?
3: Well, I think – and Coach Brown probably hit on this because he hit on it with the team. Okay, I think they now know that they can play physical. I think that they now for sure know that they are a tough football team. Okay, and then the third piece of that is not beating ourselves with penalties or missed opportunities making a play or whatever that third piece of it may be. When we can get that part – then it can be special.
2: But that third piece also, Coach, is also kind of the last box to check. It's the accoutrements, it's the details, it's kind of the gingerbread that you need it is. because all of those building blocks, the foundation is there. You got the cement poured, you got everything framed in, yep. you've got the, the drywall up, now you're just trying to hang a few lighting fixtures and move the furniture
3: That's in. That's it. I mean it's the hardest piece to accomplish, but it is accomplished. I mean you can do it. It's just it takes time. And you know And one day it's going to click. It's kind of like training quarterbacks. When you bring a freshman in, it's 100,000 miles an hour to them. Mm -hmm. And they get the struggle and struggle about learning the offense, and then one day it clicks. And and that's kind of how it is with that third piece to the puzzle.
2: Couldn't have really uh, said it any better than uh, Coach Reagan did. It's plain, it's simple, uh, and I hope that maybe if you were thinking a certain way and if you were – it's one thing to be – you know, a a fan with emotion, but I think it's another thing to react and act emotionally. That's why we do these podcasts, to kind of give you the other side, to kind of balance it all out. You know, the ego to the id, the ying to the yang. That's what we're here for on the Mountaineer Insider podcast. So really good stuff from Coach Reagan. So now let's move on to Jake Kelchner, shall we? Jake the Snake, one of the best, loves his Mounties. Well, Jake the Snake is with us here on the Mountaineer Insider Podcast. Jake, hey, thanks so much for uh, stopping by. really appreciate it. And uh, I think you can really lend some important perspective, uh, especially as it pertains to what's going on here at West Virginia this year at the position. Uh, how does a two-quarterback system work? What needs to take place from the players involved, the, um, the personalities involved, to really make it successful?
6: Well, the first thing, let's just use the '93 team as an example. We'll start with that, and we'll see the differences. Because it's every two quarterback situation is different. Um, first of all, when I played, we had two seniors, and Darren before I got there was actually a starter, so he had extensive experience. Okay, so it was it's a little different than when you have a two quarterback system. You're bringing in a freshman with no experience, and you're trying to get them, put him into the fire a little bit, bring him along, try to get a little spark in the offense. Um, so the guys, the line, everybody understood Darren's cadence really well, understood how he plays. Everybody's played with him. So we had more success just because Darren comes in with a heck of a lot more experience. Um, so that's a that's a big difference right off the bat. Uh, The second thing is, um, we didn't, I don't, there's a little conflict, I think, with what you guys have versus what we have. There was no real issue of who was one and who was two. Um, It just worked. Now, with the current situation today, I don't know if there's a little conflict, like, you know, some Deggy. Deggie wasn't maybe playing as consistent or was having some interception and turnover issues. And they bring this other guy in, maybe we need another spark. So, our situation, there was no turmoil, no conflict, not saying there is today, but it was extremely smooth, and it's one of the few times I think it actually worked. Um, Two quarterback systems. Let, let me jump in here, guy, now, here so, for you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So the question is this: So you, you heard Coach Brown? Maybe he did or did not. But he said that you know it's he's trying to figure out this one-two punch that he's working with, and what are the issues that comes up, Jake, when you have a two-headed quarterback, and you do, the offensive line has to you know maybe block a little differently. Do you have to keep in the same system? What do you have to do to make this work? Well, here.
6: All right. So you want Here's an issue. That could come up. And I think it did show up a little bit even when I played with Darren. When the other guy comes in only for a play or two or just for a single series, you have to be very careful that quarterback doesn't try to push every situation because he's trying to he's only got four plays or three plays to make a difference. So sometimes those those players let let it rip when they should be a little more conservative with the play they may try to squeeze the ball in somewhere where they shouldn't um, just because they're trying to make a good play because it's the only place they get. So that mm-hmm. discipline is really critical, and it's harder for a freshman, I would think, to handle something like that, that decision-making process. Um, right. The, that is about the only issue. Now, the cadence part, when and well, if you know this, when you come up and you get two different guys doing the cadence, there could be a longer pause in between different parts of that cadence that could throw the line off and their timing. Um, So it's something that's really got to be worked on um, at practice. Um, So that's really the only issue. Now, let's be honest. No quarterback likes to be taken out of the game for any reason. You know, even though (laughs) we all love Darren and we know Darren and he was part of our group, um, did it bother me to be taken out of the game? Of course is it going to bother Deggy? Is it going to bother anybody in the NFL? Anybody that does this, absolutely, you can't stand it if you're any kind of competitor. And right. um, well, how did
1: you do that, though?
6: You get over it. Yeah, it really helped that Darren was such a great guy. I mean, there was no real competitive issue, and Nealon did a good job managing that. But God bless, did I hate it. Oh, I hated it more than anything. <laughs> um, especially, let me say this. Imagine going down the field and scoring a touchdown. You guys got rhythm, you got momentum, and all of a sudden you come back and the next, you get the ball back and you're not allowed to go back in again. Just think of how that, right. that takes such a, takes the momentum and energy out of the quarterback. But you got to just, you got to suck it up and do it. And you understand what's trying to be done, so you want to do what's best for
2: the team. Yeah, you do have a pretty good idea of the overall sixty thousand foot view, right? For it to work, there has to be a buy-in, b understanding, and 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 the willingness, right, to make that that all work. Because at the end of the day, you realize you're a piece in in the wheel for for the greater good,
6: right? And and let me tell you, they didn't come through for us. Uh, like the Boston College game, when I got hurt, um, Darren came in. How he threw the game-winning pass, touchdown pass. And if you bring a guy that's a freshman or you know somebody doesn't have the same experience that he has, then maybe that doesn't work. We don't go undefeated, so um, it actually works. That's a good point.
2: So. so let me ask you this: it's If you had an opportunity to chat with a, a daggy or a green what advice would you give them having been somebody that has done it lived it and done it successfully because listen so hard to do it successfully there's a number of reasons why this doesn't work there's a lot of reasons why people kind of turn their nose up and scoff at this but you guys were the exception to the norm so if you had I don't know 10 minutes with each of them you'd sit them down and Jake you'd tell them what Jake hey.
6: I'm gonna be as honest as I would just tell you, tell them exactly what I told you, and I would say, Daggy, here's the reason that I would tell Greg, uh, Creed, here's the reason: you've got to be prepared. You can't try to force the ball. You try. You have to come in and blend in with that offense and not try to do something outside the norm. Keep that momentum going, and Daggy, you're gonna to have to accept it for a simple reason. There's gonna be a time you may get hurt. And if our team's rolling and winning games, you're going to need Garrett Green to come in and actually play good football. You can't, it will come back to bite you in the butt if he's not ready to play. Because we've seen backups everywhere come in after an injury and they're just not ready. So this, this Green's doing, I think, seems to be pretty good. Uh, it's quite athletic too. So, um, and I, I and I, tell you, I just tell you, know, buddy, I understand you do not want to come out of the game. And you should feel that way. It's the right way to feel. You're a competitor. It's you feel it's your team. You don't want to come out of the game, right? All you have to do is focus and keep playing as well as you can play. Prepare as well as you can prepare, and just trust the system. Uh, and that's that's kind of what you got to go with. You know, it's, There is a reason, and it's only a few plays a game. And you know, Coach Brown's got to make them both feel
2: they are important parts of that team. How did uh, you mentioned Don did a great job of managing the situation and selling you guys on it? Uh, looking back on it, uh, what what did he do? Uh, how did he do it so effectively? And what buttons did he push or, or not push to to, to make this a, a really harmonious room that he picked and chose his spots appropriately?
6: Well, when we first started. When we were doing it, he made it clear, you know, who was going to be the starter, who wasn't. He, he made a fair competition in the very beginning with it. Um, but he goes, Jake, this is what I want. I want to. There's a there's a way we can use Darren, his athletic ability, um, and keep him prepared in case something ever happens. And but he was very clear enough, honest, with both of us. I was going to be this. I saw his buy-in that I was a starter. And that's what I, I needed to hear that from him. I, I didn't need to hear, well, we're not 100% sure this is a close battle. I don't want to hear the doubt. I needed to hear 100% Jake, you're a guy. And then that allowed me to let hit Darren in, or to be more accepting to Darren coming in that series or two because it's my team. I understand what it takes to move the ball down the field with this team, and I don't want any interference. So when he said that, I was more, you know, willing and, and able to go buy into what he's trying to do to make it work, so, but you needed that, as a starter, Deggie needs to hear that from Coach Brown, you are our guy, but this is what we yeah. want to do, it's just a strategy, you are our guy, and that makes a huge difference.
1: Good points, Jake, now, you know, before I get you off, uh, let you go and get off, I got, I want to go and talk about the real question in everybody's mind. Okay? Are you ready for it? Yeah. I'm okay. ready. Why do they think, they always thought if you had a hangover the day of the game, you were go- we were going to be successful? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, are the stories true, Whiskey Jake? No,
6: we never, no. never, never, ever did that happen, ever. First of all,
2: so you're, you're setting locked, the record you know, straight. This is an outright denial. Yeah.
1: <laughs> this is—he's setting the record straight. I love it. Well, th- this this was <laughs> an easy one because Dale, you know,
6: you're locked down in a hotel the night before.
1: So I you know. I thought I'd give you the out. chance to
2: squash it.
6: Yeah. Well, I appreciate it. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah. There's a lot of funny it's, stories out there.
2: It's a pretty cool so. legend to have, though. Kind of <laughs> hanging over—no pun intended—your head there. Um, you right. kind of just rolled with it here for the better part of 30 years.
6: Yeah, well, you know, I guess I'm I'm not in denial of it. I guess I had a good time, <laughs> one or two times, so.
1: <laughs> well, it is West Virginia, who am, I, Jake. who
6: am I really going to lie to anyway? Because most of the people, I've, they've met me anyway.
1: <laughs> that's so true brother so true hey but you know what i really love though man is you know you we were talking before your daughter's coming to school here now uh you stayed with west virginia you've come back you you, you know you bring your rv at times uh, throughout the years i uh, just really love having you here man being part of the alumni coming back the varsity club so thank you brother you know you're a great representative for wvu and i just want everybody to know how much you are still locked in to wvu football and sports
6: I appreciate it, Dale, and I really appreciate, you know, the way you guys work with us and, you know, helping us get tickets and stuff like that. Um, Really appreciate your your efforts to help with that.
2: So he set the record straight, Jake Kelchner, on the uh, legend that is Whiskey Jake. Good stuff there from... From Jake Kelchner, he's been to a couple of Mountaineer games already, really, the first two home games. He's going to be back here before too long, and he's got a kid coming to the uh, the school here at WVU. so that's all good. We're going to have Jake back on. Uh, maybe not necessarily to talk about, you know, a two-quarterback system, but just to have him back on the program and, and talk some West Virginia football uh, again. That was a lot of fun. Um, Now let's get to brass tacks, down to what's coming up Saturday, 3.30 at Mylan Pushkar Stadium. That's Carlos Silva, Lubbock Avalanche Journal, a chance to stop by the show. The uh, Texas Tech Red Raiders, they are licking their wounds after having 70 dropped on them at DKR Memorial Stadium.
4: One of the biggest things that didn't happen was the defense wasn't able to get set. They weren't able to align, and that was one of the reasons that uh, Texas was able to really really win that game was Matt Wells said going into that. Got to control the line of scrimmage, whether that's on the defensive or the offensive side. And Texas Tech was able to do neither as they looked at the film. And that was one of the reasons that I feel like they were just uh, dominated, especially by Bishon Robinson, who's a very fabulous running back, just like Lenny Brown will be this, this week. I know that's something that Texas Tech was preparing for. They're going to play some really good running backs the next several weeks. So I think that's something that they're hoping to do this week is control the line of scrimmage
2: where's the fan sentiment right now surrounding this team? Uh, It's year three for Matt Wells, much like it is year three for Neil Brown here in West Virginia.
4: I think it's like any other fan base. I I think it's a a much maligned fan base, though, so I think there's a little less uh, leeway with Coach Matt Wells. I know we, we can go back a couple years when he was initially hired, and I know the fan base wasn't happy when they learned that Dana Holgerson was a potential uh, hire that Kirby Hoka, the athletic director, ended up not even interviewing. So the fact that there was like a Mike Leach branch or just a a former Texas Tech uh, assistant that could have come back, I know that kind of rubbed some fans the wrong way, and that kind of put Matt Wells behind the eight ball. And then, of course, you look at what happened last year with COVID. That wasn't necessarily a regular year. So if you really look at it, Matt Wells maybe had one – Actual offseason, if you really think about it, because he got hired late in his first year. Second year, I mean, COVID happened, so you don't necessarily have a real, I shouldn't say a real, but a normal slash routine for the offseason. This year, they actually had a normal uh, routine for the offseason, and I guess you're kind of seeing that with the 3-0 start, and obviously, as most fan bases are, they were very happy to start 3-0, but then when you lose 70 to, you know, a little, um, there's a, a little bit of a... Bad taste in the fans' mouth. And, and I would just say it's been a roller coaster for fans. I know just going into that halftime of Houston, just looking at the Twitterverse, people weren't happy that they were down 21 7, but they were certainly happy that they scored 31 and answered to beat the Cougars to start the season. And I think that's really the biggest angst uh, with some of this fan base that they feel like Texas Tech has not been able to close out lesser opponents. uh That being a Stephen F. Austin, where you barely survived them because of a fourth down stop last year. Obviously you had uh, a great team in Houston Baptist and their offense. They barely beat them by two. And then finally they got the Florida international game where, you know, you finally, you know, put them away. You you get a lot of touchdowns and people felt good going into Texas. And then all of a sudden you see that performance in Austin. And I I think that just kind of soured the fan base. And I think they're back to where I I don't necessarily think that there's a lot, but there's certainly the, the small little, uh, contingency of fans that feel like uh, Matt Wells should not be the head coach of the Tech tech football team. But again, like I said, I, uh, I feel like that's any fan base every week and because every week is always big, although there are still eight more games to play. Well,
2: uh, what does Matt have to hang his hat on at this juncture here in his third year? Um, Uh, for for those that are in his corner that feel that he's doing things the right way and that they feel that he's eventually going to turn this thing around and that he is the answer to all of this, what are those uh, sect of fans kind of gravitating towards and and clutching to? I
4: mean, the biggest thing you can look at is just all the transfers that they have hit on. You look at Colin Schooler, Tyler Shuck before he got injured last week. I mean, he was kind of the heir apparent. He was the one that – could make all the throws before he broke his collarbone. And I believe he's going to be out till November. Now you've got Henry Columbia, but this is the one thing that they didn't have maybe during Matt Wells, when his first two years were there is a competent backup that is essentially a starter that has played in the big 12, did play against West Virginia last year, had some success. And I think that's something that was missing. They didn't have that competitive depth. And I think that's something that some of those fans are hanging on to is they, they they understand the reality of the situation. The cover was bare when he got, or when he inherited the team that Clip Kingsbury left, that there, were, there weren't a lot of defensive players, there weren't a lot of guys that were kind of deaf guys, if you will, or role players. And now they've got that. Yes, they've lost a couple guys, but I think you're going to see that there are some competent backups that can, or reserves, should I say, that can step in and play at the same level, like Gay Tyler Shuck, or now that Marquise Waters is out for the year as well, you're going to see a Reggie Pearson, maybe a Rayshon Williams, and some of those guys that kind of step up and, Again, play to the potential that you expect because before it would be kind of a 50-50 shot. Is this guy going to play well or are we kind of trying to you know, mask what we have because we know that they cannot play to the level that the starter played at? And I think that's something that a lot of those fans are kind of hanging on to is that Matt Wells has been building this program. Yes, I know it takes a long time and I think it goes back to that uh, maligned fan base that hasn't seen much winning. They're just very, very impatient now because they want a elite program, but unfortunately it just hasn't been to that level the last several, or even if you want to call it a decade.
2: Well, they are at least hitting some big home runs, Uh, nine plays of at least 50 yards on offense. So Mm -hmm. uh, if there is that malign fan base that's sort of clamoring for the Mike Leach days, Uh, And the way that the Big 12 is trending, uh, I'm sure you saw how West Virginia dictated terms and conditions to Oklahoma uh, in Norman last week. And maybe what other teams are sort of doing, Neil said that he's trying to build his program on defense. Well, here's Texas Tech. They're still able to hit those big splash plays regardless of who's at the helm. So at least you've got that down in Lubbock, right?
4: That is true, but then again, I, and again, it's it's really to perspective. I mean, you can sure. look at it and say, "Well, look at the competition that they did it against." Yeah, he had a couple, a couple great plays against Houston. He had four interceptions against them, but that's against a, a quarterback in Clayton Toon who was known to be prone to throw interceptions when he was pressured, not make, not make the smartest uh, decisions when he was trying. Uh, under pressure to to make those decisions, so they were able to take advantage. Don't get me wrong, but again, it looks at your perspective. Those, those are four interceptions there. Marquise Waters, who was out for the season, had a game changing pick six against Florida International. That again, that was a close game, but then all of a sudden, once you get that little bit of momentum, and I think that's what's been missing with this Texas Tech football team. They need that spark, whether it's offense or a defensive touchdown. But once they do get that spark and they kind of get into gear. It's something that is fun to watch, but until then, it is a, I mean, the, the best way I can say it is it is a grind because you're going to see this team struggle a little bit, uh, whether that's getting first down or sometimes, again, like you said, they'll have a big play with the Todd Brooks who's out probably for the next couple of games uh, with the lower leg injury. Uh, but you've got Sirider Compton who's now back, Xavier White who's now back, Eric Inzucanma who likely is going to be a first team all big 12 wide receiver that have made some plays. But I think the one thing for Texas Tech to see is can you – spread the ball around like you did against Florida International where you're getting the tight ends involved or you're getting some other guys involved and I think that's going to be the most important thing if you want to see yes you want to see the big plays certainly they're fun for the fans but you certainly have to get those intermediate plays because that was something that was missing from Texas Tech last week against Texas
2: Where are the the soft spots on this Texas Tech team Carlos Uh, some real points of pain that Matt Wells is trying to address uh, regardless of which side of the ball that it's on
4: I think Texas was a perfect example. I mean, you, you go from the, the Houston's, the Florida internationals, and the, excuse me, the Stephen F. Austin's, and you can kind of struggle a little bit with the offensive line and the defensive line, not setting the line on the line of scrimmage. But when you go into Texas and you're not able to get a line, you're not able to get guys into gaps where they're supposed to fill or guys that are making tackles. You're going to notice that a lot more when you're in Big 12 play, and I think that's the thing and the pain point that he was kind of alluding to when we were talking to him yesterday during his uh, weekly press conference was they just didn't make plays, whether that was tackling or they weren't able to set the line of scrimmage on the offensive and defensive side. I mean, you saw it as Tyler Shuck was running for his life most of that game. Uh, Henry Columbia helped a little bit because he was uh, – or he's a little bit more mobile, and knows when to tuck it and run – As a quarterback. But the other thing, too, is he was in a situation where he was essentially in, you know, kind of catch up mode. So I think that was the other uh, interesting factor when you look at. Yes, he did have the 300 plus yards and a couple touchdowns and all that. But you have to look at the fact that he was in catch up mode. So you're going to have those type of numbers when you're obviously trying to get chunk yardage, as you mentioned, or big plays just to try and at least uh, get some cosmetic scores down down as much as they were in that game. But if, if you're asking specifically, I think those would probably be the two. It's the offensive line and being able to protect the quarterback and the defensive line and not only the depth, but just getting to the quarterback because, as I mentioned, they did have those four interceptions early, but that was because that defensive line was able to get to the quarterback that beat Clayton Tune, and forced him into bad throws. They haven't been able to do that lately, and that's kind of interesting to know, especially against Texas and uh, Florida International or some of those other teams.
2: What is the objective coming into Morgantown here? Obviously to win the game, clearly, but um, do you feel that they will be able to spread the field and kind of thin out West Virginia's defense? Is that going to be, I guess, item number one? I mean, you clearly don't know the game plan. I understand that, but just curious Mm -hmm. as to what – uh, you're able to ascertain here as we, we we tape this podcast as come Saturday afternoon, Texas Tech, you know, they've got three items on their list that they really want to try to uh, specifically against West Virginia accomplish.
4: I think first and foremost, establish the running game because if they don't establish the run game, that makes it one-dimensional. And then as you had mentioned, Neil Brown's defense has been very good. Texas Tech is not historically been good on the road the last several years, the one team that they have been able to get on the road was a West Virginia team. So, I mean, I, I think that just goes to show how, how important this road game is. And I mean, as much as I hate to, to use the cliche, this is a must win game for Texas tech because you have, you have some, some tough teams that you're going to play down the road, but you've got West Virginia, then you got TCU, and then you've got Kansas. If you're able to somehow get those victories, you're pretty close to bowl eligibility. Uh, going into you know Kansas so certainly that is something that they're looking at I know they probably aren't looking that forward but this is certainly a table setter in terms of getting set for bull eligibility and not only that but then just going to show that Matt Wells can get his guys to bounce back and show that they have some toughness and can deal with some adversity that being a tough loss and you know being able to flush it out of their system but Establishing the run game would be the number one thing because that was something they weren't able to do against Texas. Number two would be able to spread the ball, as you kind of mentioned before. Yes, Eric Ozukano is a fabulous player, but if you're double teaming him, there's going to be other guys that are open. And um, if those guys are open, let's see if you can get them uh, the football. And then, kind of along the lines of establishing the run game, seeing if Henry Columbia can get a couple of big runs because I think that's going to be something that's. Uh, going to be difficult for West Virginia now is they do have to account for the fact that Henry Columbia will be a runner going into that game. And the last thing I would say is the offensive line is, can you block for Henry Columbia? Yes. He can run around, but I think the biggest thing that they need are big plays. Like you said, chunk plays and the only way you're able to do that is if you give your quarterback at least five to six seconds in the pocket to allow mm-hmm. Eric is uh, uh-huh. a fungi or miles price or any of those other guys to, You know, make some big plays down the field.
2: That's a long time in the in the pocket. Uh, And West Virginia's defensive front, I'm sure you're uh, well uh, familiar with. Um, That that's going to be interesting. I wonder who uh, Carlos. uh, What team has more pressure on them to come out and pull this one off? Because I mean, early season. Boy, this is a really, really big game as far as season trajectory for both programs for both coaches. Um, there's a ton at stake. We're not typically saying this, I think, to the magnitude that we are here um, for you know the first weekend in October.
4: Well, I, I think it's equal for both, but I think there's a, a little bit more on Matt Wells to you know just get the taste out of the Texas Tech fans' mouths of a of a loss by putting up or by the Longhorns. And I think that the real biggest thing that kind of sticks in the craw of Texas Tech Pads is the fact that it was an in-state rival. It was Texas. It's a team that's going to the SEC at some point. So I think there was just a little bit extra to where it made it a little personal for some of those fans. And I think that was something that really hurt them. They felt like they were, you know, in a good spot. They had all these transfers. You have all these, you know, good things written about the defense and the offense. and it, And then you just kind of see what happened. On the field last Saturday, that certainly puts a bad taste in your mouth. And if you get two in a row, then obviously then you're going to kind of see maybe the fan base turn a little bit because again, when you're three and O and you're winning, it's very hard to hear some of those chirps. But then when you're O and two, and then you kind of look at a TCU team that yes, they did get beat by SMU, but they're a good defensive team. Things start to kind of turn the other way, and people kind of you know make the arguments. Well, maybe this Texas Tech team isn't as good as everyone touted them early in the year. Maybe they are worth or worthy of that, uh, if I'm not mistaken, seventh uh, seventh place ranking in the Big 12 uh, rankings earlier earlier in the season. So I, I think that's something that's going to be interesting for Matt Wells. I, I think Neil Brown is fine, frankly, uh, win or lose. I mean, you, you look at the performance they had against Oklahoma. They certainly should have won that game, but they didn't. And then after that, you, you essentially play a bunch of good teams, but I think West Virginia is going to be in them because of their two quarterback system and Jared Baggy playing as well as he has. And not only that, but then Letty Brown is a very good running back that can kind of set the tone each each and every week.
2: So we've got three interviews for you right there, and uh, I hope you enjoyed it all. I thought Coach uh, Reagan was really, really good, really interesting, and of course, uh, Jay Kelchner. He's lived it, he's breathed it, and he's got the uh, back of the football card to I think prove that something like what West Virginia currently has going on at the most important position on the football field It can indeed work. We'll see uh, if we can get on the winning side of these Texas Tech Red Raiders coming up on Saturday afternoon. Be sure to join us at 12 o'clock for the Go Martin Mountaineer Tailgate Show. More on all of this, more on West Virginia's offense, but in particular, how about their defense, right? Neil Brown on Tuesday mentioned that this is going to be a program whose identity is its defense. The foundation of the West Virginia football program built on the defensive side of the ball. So we're going to talk a lot about that as we retire, number 90. The great one, Daryl Talley. It's his day. He's the man of the hour on Saturday afternoon. He will join us on the Mountaineer Sports Network coming up Monday at 1.30. So uh, you get that news here first on the Mountaineer Insider because, well, that's uh, part of the the perks, right, uh, of listening to this podcast We'll drop the information to you here first. So Daryl Talley coming on at 1.30. And right after him, his former teammate, and of course, uh, West Virginia Athletic Director Emeritus, Oliver Luck, is coming by as well. He'll join at 1.45. So looking forward to having uh, not only uh, Daryl Talley on his very special day, but Oliver Luck as well. Hey, good luck to Dan Stratford's uh, program, Nikki Izzo-Brown's program this uh, coming weekend as well. Men's soccer up to number three in the country the highest ranking ever up from number four to number three this week they just keep killing it and we're so proud of our West Virginia soccer program. So be sure to give them a follow, a like on Twitter. And if you're in the area, of course, be sure to stop by Dick Glesk Soccer Stadium. It's an incredible college football soccer atmosphere. Until then, hey, have a great weekend. Be safe. Can't wait to see you on the radio. As they say, Dan really signing off with the Mountaineer Insider Podcast.
5: You've been listening to the Mountaineer Insider here on MSN, the Mountaineer Sports Network. Like the podcast? Give us five stars or leave a review. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at WVUMSN or find the latest news and information on the Mountaineers at WVUSports.com. The preceding has been a Learfield presentation of MSN, the Mountaineer Sports Network.